Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Just the Facts. I'm Anastasia Palinskaya. And I'm Ashley Diaz. And today we have an exciting episode. We are going to be talking with Danny Zoldan from Stand Up New York. And it's a really great interview. We're excited to have him on here. And um, until you hear from him, you're going to hear a lot more from us. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) First of all, that interview, um, the iconic interview that everyone has been talking about with Harry and Meghan and Oprah. Oh, my God. Like the ultimate foursome. Like, (laughs) I could imagine in my mind. I feel the power (laughs) Uh, but they are all re- very respectable people. Um, I, will, <laughs> I will not put them down to that level, even though I'm sure, you know, they're rich. That's what all the people I've been always concerned about. They're like, it's the rich liberals with their orgies and their. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> ask Prince Andrew. He's and not. the media. Yeah. The royal family knows. And I'm they talking a bunch of freaks. They all cousins fucking each other. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, what do you think of the interview, Ashley? It was perfectly crafted. I thought it was great to have Megan by herself first with Oprah and then to have Harry. It was very smart of Megan to have Harry re- uh, like drop the news that they're having a girl. Uh, I am so excited for them. They deserve nothing but the best. They are so amazing and graceful throughout this whole entire shitstorm and i really hope that they named the kid diana as a big fuck you to the the family Uh, that would be amazing imagine having like how many brothers i mean kids did his brother have like four four kids i don't even know whatever the kid the guy didn't think to name one of his kids after his mom you know i honestly think that that might happen and you, if we'll go back to this episode, and if you called it, I'm I, owe you, <laughs> I owe you some drinks. I owe you some drinks. I am the new Scarlet Yes. Witch. Scarlet Witch. Oh, my God. WandaVision. We won't even oh talk gosh. about it Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. going there. We have our own It was own a great vision. finale. That's all. <laughs> we have our own vision. We have our own vision right Stop now. Stop it with the puns. I can't. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it really was interesting because... Uh, he drops like, yeah, I, I'm done with them. I'm done with my family. Like, he gave them the ultimate screw you. Like, especially considering that they're the British crown. Like, he's like, I'm out. I'm going to America. And my <laughs> daughter will be born on American soil. Like, literally, the timing of American it. citizen. Yeah. You see this? Yep. Oh, my this? God. I didn't even think of that. She could be president. I didn't even think of that. President Diana. <laughs> how many years are we away oh, so it's like 2056 okay we'll check back in 2050 <laughs> we're gonna be at like 2000 episodes we'll probably be syndicated on like netflix the service yeah board as well yeah <laughs> no this is so crazy i didn't even think about that she's gonna be born here that's fucking crazy president princess diana, diana. <laughs> <laughs> 2056. Oh. I hope she hires us for the media campaign. We'll be like, we saw it in the stars. We saw it. We saw the future. And the future was promising. Oh my god, that's the vision. But it's what, what was what was 
shocking about all of this beyond the I mean beyond the obvious the big thing mm. was the royals concerning about the skin color the Brad. concern about the skin color Brad. as a fellow light skin person as a fellow light skin person this is literally like every person who is a person of color and has lighter skin can relate so much to this interview because you look at Megan and in a room of people who are dark skin, she's the closest thing to white. And then in a room with a bunch of, you know, incest cousins in, in England, you're, you're the black person. And she's, her kid, Archie's 25% black technically like he's a quarter black he is blake griffin and you guys are getting mad over blake griffin like i just and i don't to get mad over blake griffin i know <laughs> <laughs> he's just so great <laughs> yeah i mean honest it, it just it's proof that this race issue is deeper than it sees the eye it's not just um, uh, I mean, obviously skin color has a big part in it, but it goes deeper than that. The microaggressions, the institution, I'm going to call them the institution now. Uh, fuck the government. I'm calling everybody the institution. As a battle, can we talk about that for a second? I love how they kept calling it the institution, which is what Diana used to call it. Mm-hmm. I just want to mention that. They, they keep calling it the institution because that's what you know, it was. And they also, in in regards to Diana, they're also drawing comparisons to the interview Diana did when yeah. she had revealed to the interviewer that she had spoken with about, um, I forgot his name, but um, about the fact that there were basically just... They were basically a three three way couple, but mostly two and one away from her with Prince Charles and Camilla, and how he was cheating on her the mm. entire time. Mm. So I don't know. I my prediction: if I was a betting woman, um, President Princess Diana, twenty fifty six. Yes, um, that's a given. My vote. The royal. I don't think. Unless William gets the crown, like, I don't think they'll keep Charles around because the UK has been trying to do a referendum to get rid yeah. of the royal family for years. And yep. they're the queen. This is, is the, the last only thing. Straw. The queen is the only thing keeping them going. I mean, they there's so many bills that have been introduced and all that to try to get rid of them. So it's interesting. I mean... They didn't have any time cutting off. They, they didn't take any time. Supposedly during their whole tour when they were on Australia, that's when Megan, when she was pregnant with Archie, found out that he would not be receiving any treatment, like role treatment in, in, in regards to like security or title. And then to strip him and then to strip his their daughter and then to strip Harry. But then you keep... Prince Andrew still has his title. Like, what the actual fuck? And, you know, they left Harry and Meghan with less security than a TikTok comedian. Also, who has less security? The Capitol or Meghan and Harry? Like, these are <laughs> big oversights. <laughs> big oversights. Big oversights. And the royal family said that they uh, called are the shocked. allegations of racism 
concerning. Are they the just concerned definition everyone? of gaslighting? Are they just concerned everyone found out? Yeah. It sounds yeah. a lot like my ex. You know, it's like, are you mad or are you mad that I know that you know? Yep. That I know that you cheated, you asshole. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Chris. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, this is all not shocking. It's just disappointing that we're still having to talk about this. It's disappointing that this is happening. That they they didn't have. Oh, my favorite part of the whole thing was like out of nowhere. They're like, "Yeah, we went to LA," and Tyler Perry lent us his house. I was like, ah! Not Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry's out here saving the royals. Tyler Perry. I mean, he... Medea did it again. Medea did it again. (laughs) Medea, it's just for another elaborate Medea movie. That's really... It's Tyler Perry pulling... He's trying to... Tyler Perry He's said like, Meghan Markle, she's an actress. Yeah. You yeah. Uh-huh. He wants some Meghan. Meghan Markle money. And Oprah's in on it, too. <laughs> the Illuminati. <laughs> the Illuminati went. Um, um, we, please do not. Uh, <laughs> take us seriously. Please do not uh, take us seriously. <laughs> I just want to say. QAnon is like. Uh, I know QAnon, they were to detract a little bit. They're radio silent right now. No, but they thought on March 5th that Trump was going to get, they thought that he was going to become president again. Inaugurated again. That he was going to get inaugurated and then it obviously didn't happen. So it keeps like, it was the the Capitol rushing day was supposed to be when he was going to do the thing. Then I think it's the fourth or the fifth or something. I don't know. It's like, it's like the end of the world. Basically the same sort of predictions. These people need to channel their energy somewhere. It's the end of the old world. That's what I think. This is the age of, of, of knowledge and the age of truth. And we are just spitting the facts, just the facts. Yes. The facts. (laughs) And, you know, it's time for everyone to know the reality of the situation for a lot of people. And that's the fact that we have to live with a lot of our silence from Britney Spears to Megan. Free them. <laughs> Free, Free them. them. Free them. That's so sad. She was suicidal, dude. I, I just... know. And you know what was so messed up? So um, I don't know if you heard about this, but Piers Morgan surrounding all of this. Piers Morgan, the TV ho- former TV host now. It uh, feels good to see that. Yes! <laughs> Asshole. Uh, you know, he like, is the worst. I don't like to wish ill on people, but he... So he's been I harassing... I do. Fuck that guy. <laughs> he's been harassing Meghan Markle for years. Yeah. For years. And after the interview with Oprah, he went on TV and basically called it a trash-a-thon, said it was the worst of the royal family. He even at, like was like questioning whether she was really suicidal. And it fucked up. His co-host the next day called him out and was like, it's painful to watch you talk about this. You are obsessed with Megan. And um, it's even more insane that I found out through my research your teach spill the tea. <laughs> is that Piers Morgan actually used to be friends with Meghan Markle. They met on social media. They used to direct message. And then they got together. They went out to a pub. And she ghosted him. 
Apparently, he sent her in a taxi away to a party where Prince Harry was. I'm sorry, you the frog. You the frog. <laughs> Not the prince. No. Uh, yeah. He I- is the fairly godmother who sent her out to go meet Prince Charming. Oh, I love it. I love it. This It's a saga, and it gets even more intense. So he's basically... She goes to him in 2016, and he has basically talked so much shit about her every chance he's gotten. Mm-hmm. He's like a drunk stranger. He walks up to you in a bar and says, fuck Jessica and her new boyfriend. <laughs> We're puking <laughs> on your shoes. He's he's absolute trash. He's garbage. I hate him so much. He talks over everybody in an interview unless they're speaking his language. He is misogynistic. He's racist. He's he's everything Donald Trump wish he was. <laughs> and you yeah. know what? I I think with um with Piers Morgan, I have some suggestions for him because this is how he got reacted. He reacted to being ghosted five years ago, okay? <laughs> he was ghosted five years ago, and he is still reacting about this on international television. Here are more acceptable ways to deal with someone ghosting you. One, <laughs> cry. Two, cry as you lurk their Instagram page. Three, Cry as you binge swipe on Bumble until you forget about your feelings and place yourself in that same toxic emotional cycle that you were initially in that brought you here in the first place. <laughs> Sounds like you've been down this this path before, Anna. <laughs> I mean, I said that these were better ways, not healthier ways to deal with ghosting because this is not that kind of podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hey, whatever gets him off the air, but we're, we're, he's done. He's out. He's out. There were 41,000 complaints that were filed. Thank you, TikTok. Once again, TikTok is saving the world and you guys are out here making fun of it. Dun-dun, TikTok. (laughs) That's our jingle. Dun-dun, TikTok. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I, I can't, my favorite uh, one, uh, so many favorite moments from that interview. I'm going to go back to um, but Oprah when she had that moment at the very end where she goes, so you got your happy ending. <laughs> As if she was waiting for the Oprah moment. Like, oh. it was so good. Oh, so the good. I'm just... That woman is impeccable. I really hope that um, they give her, give them the security back. I, I feel like this is BS that they don't have that. I hope that they give uh, everybody their titles back, especially again with Except Prince, for Prince Andrew. Andrew. No, he still has his title. No, we need to get it, take his title out. Yeah, like why does change. he get to keep his give Archie title? whatever, whatever he was uh, Duke of. <laughs> and Prince Harry kept saying they killed my mama. Like they killed my, like literally he said it for 10 minutes straight. Like they killed my mama. They ain't going to kill my girl. <laughs> like, you know, I stand with Prince Harry. He still remains the hottest member of the family he, for this reason. You know what? The one thing that Prince Harry ever did that I think was a problem was when he dressed up like a Nazi. Yes. But we he got did. over it a little bit, but we have to <laughs> acknowledge grew. it. We have to acknowledge yes. it because he is mm-hmm. a woke king. He grew. 
he, he grew. moved on. Yes. He moved on. Also is a veteran, so respect. Yes. Um, I'm I'm glad I'm glad he can recognize that he wasn't perfect, but I'm pretty sure he was bred to be that way. And he had a a moment of Okay, it wasn't a moment. He was again bred that way. Well, the thing is, Harry, because he was the second, it's uh Yeah. It's like the second, the second born. It's unless like your whatever dies before mm-hmm. he has kids, you're not going to ever be in the line to be yeah. royalty. I mean, look yeah. at Charles. He's been sitting there waiting for his mom to go, and she's just still like <laughs> trucking out on. Oh yeah, the whole oh they're they're like oh but Prince Charles he he was in the hospital he's ninety nine years old and and you guys are t- are are dropping oh, Prince this. Philip Prince Philip. I'm sorry <laughs> Prince Philip <laughs> he's like ninety nine years old why why are you guys dropping this now and it's like uh if he dies now this has nothing to do with us it's because he's had like 20 heart transplants yeah i mean they are still their weekend at bernie's with um that's not an original thought that is mostly what the internet thinks is the deal with prince philip yeah (laughs) for sure yeah i keep saying the same they're all the fucking same they're all a bunch of they're all just a bunch of princes Oh man! Goodness, Ashley. But how are things with you? How has you had an eventful weekend yourself? No, no, no. Things only get better with me. So, um, this past weekend, I don't know if you guys have heard, but there's this FBI scam going on where people will call your loved ones, especially the the older people, and and basically say that you've been kidnapped and that they're holding you ransom and they're going to sell your organs in the black market. And as everyone knows now, I'm in Los Angeles and my father got a phone call the other day asking for a ransom of 25000 which I was a little offended by. I thought it would get a little bit more for me, but... <laughs> I guess I'm not that valued in the black market. Anyway, why my dad be black? Out. <laughs> well, the black market. The I black know, market. I know. <laughs> the white market. I mean, I don't know. It's probably white people who are buying them. Anyway, so just another way to put the man down. Anyway. <laughs> but my dad freaked out. He became a... Uh, uh, Neil, um, Liam Nielsen. Yeah, Liam Nielsen. Nielsen. He, <laughs> I can never remember his name. He he became him. He did not call me because he was convinced that my fingers were gonna come off. So he called the police. They reported it to my the police. Then they called my brother. But instead of calling my mom, but my parents are divorced, so my dad wants to call my brother to give the information to my mom. But my brother's not the best messenger. And he basically uh, told him, told my mom, and it, my my brother got the information that I was sequestrada, which is kidnapped. But my brother processed arrestada, which is arrested. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom calls me because she's intelligent. She calls me, and I'm like, "Mommy, I'm fine. I'm like eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. What are you talking about?" 
don't lie to me. Don't. Everyone was going crazy in Miami and I was in my underwear. Luckily, nothing happened. But. <laughs> and they and this actually happened about um, half an hour before we recorded this interview that oh, we are going yes. to share. So <laughs> we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll be right back. Um, Ashley has not been kidnapped, and she I am will willing to lie to tell the tale when we get back. And please, if they do kidnap me for any reason in the future. Please ask for more than 25,000, guys. Come on. I mean, for real. Also, I actually, it's crazy because before that happened to you, a week before, I'd sent my parents a link to the FBI page. Because I'm like, Mom. You're the one who sent it to me. I'm like, Mom, if you ever get something like this, because I'd seen someone else make a Facebook status about this. I was like, Mom, if you ever get a call like this, know that this is fake because I don't want you to have a heart attack because my parents are old. So... Uh, I suggest oh, people share that story because that's a really weird scam and a scary scam. That can be, you know, it's not good. Yeah, luckily my my parents are tough and, um, you know, everything is okay. So, yeah. And you are probably going to get a bit out of it because that's how comedy was. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, okay, great. Some comedy for me. That's, <laughs> I got I sexually harassed like a couple of months, uh, like a month ago, I got sexually harassed. I remember mentioning to you and I, the only thing I could think of at the end was, how can I make this funny? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, I need to go to therapy. Uh, uh, well, no, it's okay. <laughs> we have each other and we have all of our listeners who um, we are, we'll be right back. We'll be right back with Danny Zoldan from Stand Up New York. Danny Zoltan. Hi. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Anastasia Pavlonskaya. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Now you're just showing off that you know how to pronounce my last name. (laughs) Anastasia Pavlonskaya. Yeah, there you go. So you are the owner of Stand Up New York. Uh, you're very passionate about stand up comedy. And when we were researching, we found out that you frequent the club as a teen. Um, what does comedy mean to you and how did you get so involved with it? So I moved to Manhattan, Manhattan right before I started high school. I was 14 years old. We moved from Long Island to 18th Street between 5th and Broadway, and that's right outside of Greenwich Village. And I feel like the city took me in, and I loved everything about the city. And I used to frequent the Comedy Cellar, which was not too far away. I used to go there every couple of weeks uh, with my friend Gabe and some of my high school buddies. And it was an awesome experience going to shows there. It wasn't only about like the stand-up. Uh, it was also about just the whole experience, sitting there and watching people laughing and the decor. Like it wasn't, it wasn't really just about stand-up. Like I'm not, I'm not like, a big like comedy nerd, believe it or not. Um, I don't know. I just, I just, I just enjoyed like being there and taking in the experience. And then my friend Gabe uh, started getting to stand up himself, and he used to perform in Stand Up New York and some other venues around the city. And then um, 
back in 2008 when I was 27. I was living around the corner from the club and I and I saw an ad that the club was for sale and I called Gabe and I'm like, dude, like we used to come here when we were like 17, let's try to buy it. Gabe, like you're a stand-up comic and I'm more on the business side, let's, let's take it over. And we just took it over when we were 27 and that was 12 years ago. And it's been, you know, a lot of ups and downs and it's, it's been an interesting ride, especially in the past year. So prior to 2008, um, how, how much producing had you done in comedy or in general? Zero. Zero. Wow. I didn't know, like, I'm a, I'm a risk taker. I just, when I feel like doing something, I just, I just do it. Um, we just like jumped into this place, no experience, uh, never produced a comedy show before. And we, we just walked in, it was like turnkey. I remember the first night we took over, there was a show going on. And like we walked in and we wow. introduced ourselves to the staff. And like some of them didn't even know there's a new owner. So we're like, oh, hey, you know, we're the new wow. owners. Like, you know, so it was like weird. Um, and we just learned on the fly. We were still learning. We still don't know so much what we're doing. <laughs> You are so young, too, to take over a club, especially in New York. I mean, what was that like? And integrating into the scene in that sort of context? So it's a good question. Um, it's a little complicated because I started a telecom company when I was 24. And I was running the telecom company. And I was involved with the club at the same time for seven or eight years out of the 12 years that I've been here. So the first like seven or eight years that uh, I've been here, I wasn't like fully engaged and I, I wasn't so like front and center. Um, I, have, I have three kids and they're young and, you know, like while most comics are, don't have families, I would say, um, you know, I'm, and the, you know they're out every night performing in clubs. Um, I'm not going to say I'm helping my kids do their homework, but I'm I'm at least home like on the couch, <laughs> um, you know, at, at like 7 p.m. 8 p.m. while the club is going. I'm home. Uh, I, I I didn't hang out at the club so much. Um, so yeah, the seven the first seven or eight years I wasn't so involved. Like comics, like knew I was an owner, but I was like. A little mysterious like pulling the strings like in the background because i was working like office hours like i would come in like eight or nine and have an office above the club and then i would go home like five or six so comics i wasn't hanging out here so yeah i but then i started getting you can really say i i took over the club like four or five years ago <laughs> even though like i was the owner for 12 years uh, four or five years, I was more involved, but the first four years that I owned it, um, starting five years ago, like I made like every mistake in the book, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but then in the past year, it, right when we closed, I figured out how to run this place. 
because <laughs> that's timing. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, like, I think we, like, we've done, I don't know, we're not financially, but um, just stuff that we've been doing uh, while we're closed has, has gotten more attention than things we were doing before. So maybe we should just keep the club closed. <laughs> well, then that will defeat the purpose of all of this, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm just going to pack up and close the club. That'll be funnier. <laughs> That's your final act in uh, this story, in the saga. So your roots are in entrepreneurship. I looked at your LinkedIn. You probably have a bunch of views from me because LinkedIn's like that. Uh, I was looking and you have a, you are a true like entrepreneur and you're just telling us now you a master of the balancing act. I mean, coming from two Libras, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. But how how do you? What drives you, and what has driven you in entrepreneurship since um, a younger age? I think. Um, let's see. I I I love um, I love coming up with like an idea, um, and and just like moving on it quickly and executing. Um, I don't, I don't love like the day-to-day minutiae of like running the business. Um, and I hate like conference calls with my team and meetings with my team. I like, I'm at my best when I'm like alone, just like daydreaming and, and coming up with an idea and like taking quick action to put it together. So like when I was 19, I started an online music company and like I, I just I just moved on it quickly. Um, like I grew up very independent. Um, like I, I dropped out of college. Um, I was I was a terrible student, and I felt like I had to just do things on my own to survive. And because no one was helping me, so when I was 19, I started that online music company, and then I was 24, I started this telecom company, and just figuring things out like building my telecom company like with no money um i built a phone network into trinidad and tobago like using the internet so like figuring out how to do that is like cool you know the the rest of the years that i that i was involved like wasn't so much fun like i had a team in romania um you're you you're are you from russia Yes, I am from Russia. Okay. So, I mean, I, I, I did business with people all around the world when I was in telecom in, in Russia and Ukraine. And, I, you know, I, I started off in, in Trinidad and Tobago. It's in the West Indies. I've done stuff in like West Africa, like Sudan. I was in Liberia, Guinea, like you name it. Um, I built up a really good like global network. Um, and... It was, in, it was, I mean, that's what drove me, just like coming up with an idea and like figuring out how to like get it done and and just meeting different types of people. I like, I like that also, meeting different people from different walks of life. And then when, we, so when we closed, I think that just gave me after 12 years, like a blank canvas to like do something crazy, you know, like we're closed. Like, what do we do? And that got me thinking where I didn't think like that for many years. You know what I'm saying? Mm. That's where we came up with our stand up New York in the park. 
which I've been to, and it's amazing. Cool. Thank you for that. I was actually in New York uh, until November. I decided to move over here for work. Um, unfortunately, I I loved New York. Um, one day I'll be back. I'm but back. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you guys have definitely kept New York alive. I know that there's a running joke that New York is dead, but when it comes to just entertainment period you guys have done everything from subway shows to rooftop shows i mean you guys have not stopped when was it that moment it had to have been early because i remember seeing a park show in april or it was may of 2020 that you guys decided you know despite what's going on we're going to do our best to be safe and we're going to give people what they need and that's a release yeah, uh, I was, so April, March, April, May was when everything was really shut down, like people weren't leaving their apartments. I came to the club every day still, just because I, I had three kids like on Zoom, and I, I had to get out of the house, so I came to the club every day a few walks away, and I was here all day from like 9 or 10 a.m. to 6 or 7 p.m., my wife didn't know like, what I was doing at the club when we're closed, but um, I came here and I just, for three months, just like got organized and cleaned the club myself, cleaned out the basement, cleared out my inbox and took care of projects that I've been sitting on for many months and just got a lot of, I just had a lot of time to think and reflect. And then when it started getting nicer out, I, I got a city bike and I bought a lawn chair and started going to Central Park and sitting on the lawn and working on my laptop. And I just saw one day, I just saw a lot of people, hundreds of people on the lawn, just enjoying themselves and laying out and playing Frisbee and football. And I text John, my booker, hey, there's a ton of people out here enjoying themselves. Why don't we do a comedy show? And that was really just like the spark of everything that we've been doing just mm. just that little idea sitting under the tree on my lawn chair working on my laptop we did one show and it was a success and I knew we had something awesome because like comics you know they came to me like we haven't performed in like three months it felt so good thanks for doing this and people that came out to watch were also thankful because they haven't done anything in months and seen any entertainment. So I told John, our booker, we really got to scale this thing. Like, let's try to do 40 to 50 shows a week. And he thought I was crazy, but we did it. We were doing 40 to 50 shows a week and we had two spots in Central Park. We were in Battery Park, Prospect Park, McCarran Park, Astoria Park. It was it was awesome. Saturdays we were doing nine or ten shows in different locations. It was pretty awesome. It was it was it was a great summer and fall. What kind of hours were you putting in each week? I just gotta know. <laughs> I mean, it was it was very chaotic because when the club before COVID, we only did like fourteen or fifteen shows a week. And during COVID, we were doing 40 to 50. And we didn't really, we didn't have the infrastructure. And I'm not, I don't have like the operation skills to like manage that. I'm better on like, like the marketing side. Um, so I brought on actually, be, like a few months before COVID, 
uh, I started, I don't know, I was getting a lot of anxiety at work and having panic attacks. And I brought, and my work was like just piling up. I was so overwhelmed. You know, I, 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 there was a point where I got like a cabin in the woods to just try to get organized and clear out my emails and paperwork. It was, it was a very rough time a few months before the pandemic. And I brought on um, someone, her name is Catherine, who just helps entrepreneurs like get organized. So I brought Catherine on and she got me organized. And then when we started our park shows, she stayed on and she managed the operations side. So she's the one that hired the park managers and trained them and made sure they had a sign and stand up New York in the park hats and organized the show well. And John R. Booker handled the comics. I really just had, it was, it was actually, it wasn't so difficult for me. Um, a lot of it I, I was doing like from my couch or, or like at the bar, just, you know, I was, I was handling mostly just the marketing and like social media and email newsletter. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we were able to do that. Yeah. You've been just, you had some epic shows too. I mean, what's the most, um, I, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say inappropriate location, but what was the most random setup for of any of these shows? Because I know you did some train shows. What was the most different? Definitely the Temple of Laughter at the St. Paul and St. Andrew Church on the Upper West Side, where <laughs> the it was it's a be- massive, beautiful church massive they probably fit like 2,000 people in there and the pastor like spoke before the show and, <laughs> you know he was wearing like his whole thing and it was just weird and and it was it was cool because it was like the first indoor show we did because how because uh houses of worship were open Oh, <laughs> so that's why the idea was to do it in a church and then expand to other houses of worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did. We created a temple of. We, we created a church, basically. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's a that, that, that's probably that was probably the weirdest show we've done in a church. And the 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 pastor was the opener, I guess. <laughs> it was really nice because, like, he was talking about you know, like, like why laughter is important to people. Mm. It was like very touching, actually. It was like a nice, it was a nice service, we called it. <laughs> oh. uh, but our train shows, we do a show on the train every month, every week, every Saturday night. That's also been like different and fun. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, you've also organized things outside of the state of New York. How's that been? <laughs> Good. So we did shows in, uh, we do shows in Connecticut a lot now, which we didn't do before COVID. Uh, we, we did shows in LA. Um, and then we stopped when they, when they shut it down, they were, they were shutting like outdoor shows down. So yeah. we, we packed up and we went home, but we're coming back March 15th mm-hmm. with awesome lineup. Uh, we have Jeff Ross and Jamie Kennedy and. Uh, I'll she- be there. <laughs> oh, Cool. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it'll be pretty cool. Um, what else did we do? Uh, Connecticut, LA. Um, 
Uh, we're planning uh, a comedy festival in Idaho now. I don't know if you heard about that. No. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so... Something on your social media. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little weird um, because um, there's a comedy journalist who like goes after uh, people in the comedy industry and tries to cancel them. Um, and... You know, he when when we started doing our weird shows, you know, he would say stuff like, you know, you know, stand up New York, you know, is killing people by doing shows on the train or something, you know, like just ridiculous stuff. So as a joke, um, you know, I said we're gonna do a comedy festival in Idaho. That's where he lives, <laughs> and it was really meant as a joke. But a lot of comics started sending me their sets. <laughs> And um, maybe we should do this. Like I bought the domain name, IdahoComedyFest.com, registered the social handles. We got this awesome logo designed. And, you know, it's, 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 we're doing it May 20th to 22nd. And hopefully if it goes well, it'll be a, um, you know, it'll be a yearly festival. And he was like the spark of this festival and, and, I'm very grateful to him. <laughs> <laughs> when they go low, we go high. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I've been tweeting like, you know, we can't wait till we bring joy and laughter to the people of Idaho. <laughs> oh my goodness. But it's one of the other adversities that you had. So you've created this network of shows, but then, um, they stopped allowing you to have park shows. And that's when things, you know, that's when this frigidness, I would guess, I guess I would say, started happening with you and like Cuomo and the government. Um, tell us a little bit about that hurdle and now where you are now with that. Yeah, so I mean, they, they made things a little difficult for us. Uh, outdoor shows were illegal for some reason, even in parks, but, you know, we fought back and they tried to shut us down a few times, but we didn't let them. And it's been a year since we've been closed when everything is opening up around us, bowling alleys to pool halls and Cuomo announced that people can have weddings now and restaurants increase their capacity. And like, we're sitting here one year into this and we've received no guidance or communication from the state as to when we can reopen. And, you know, I started, I guess, ramping up opposition to that on social media the past few weeks, like, you know, just, just declaring, you know, Cuomo should open the clubs. And Monday, this past Monday, we sued the governor to reopen. And then I think it was that night or the next night I spoke to Andrew Yang. Um, and, you know, he expressed support for opening venues. And he tweeted uh, that he thought Albany should step in and, and come up with a plan for struggling venues. So I'm grateful to him for that. Um, and then I, I just think be, between being loud and getting on TV and talking about this and suing him and Andrew Yang doing his thing, um, I just think, you know, Cuomo uh, gave up. And on Wednesday at his press conference, he announced that venues can reopen. Yeah. <laughs> 
Amazing. You put that pressure on Como Daddy. Yeah, I, I mean, like we were like, you know, yelling and kicking and, you know, like I was doing whatever we could just to, you know. You guys even it. had a roast, right? Of a Como roast. We didn't do a roast. We, we've been like putting out like these funny animations making fun of him. <laughs> He's like, we can't, we gotta let the comedians. <laughs> Has anyone from his office contacted you? No, nobody. I mean, they should have, I've been, I've been saying this before, they should have arranged a conference call with like venue operators, just telling them like what the deal is and explain their logic for keeping clubs closed. Uh, but they didn't do that. It's been a year. There is no logic. And then Andrew Yang in like one tweet, you know, got a lot of people's attention. It's true. It's true. So, what's what's next for for you know for the whole organization? I know you're also there's Stand Up New York Labs. You're an incubator. What is next in this journey? I mean, I, I love to. I'd love to revive Stand Up New York Labs. It's been a bit dormant lately. We, we founded it maybe eight years ago and it got a little quiet during COVID because people don't feel comfortable coming to the studio. So I think as feel, people feel more comfortable, uh, you know, coming here and u- utilizing the studio, we'd love to get Stand Up New York Labs rocking again. Um, and, and recording more podcasts here and doing more shoots and getting comics to come up and have them do videos or TikToks or whatever they want to do. Um, <laughs> and then Laugh Pass, uh, you know, as clubs, that's our membership program um, for $99 a year. People can get access to clubs around the country. Um, I'd love to, as clubs reopen, I'd love to work on that more. Um, Stand up New York, you know, just want to make sure our club is awesome. And I'm open, you know, I never said this before, but I I never wanted another location, but I'm open to that. So I'll, you know, maybe explore opening up other locations. And I want want to get my podcast off the ground. Uh, actually, I think next week is the first episode of the Stand Up New York podcast, which I'm hosting. I'm chatting with uh, Noam Dorman, the owner of The Cellar. Uh, that's sort of where like everything started, you know, with me going to comedy clubs. So I thought that would be a good way. That would be a good launch episode. So um, New York is is going to hopefully, I think, you know, it's the toughest city in the world. It's going to bounce back. Uh, what do you think it's going to happen to the uh, live performance scene? And and do you think that people are going to flood back or do you think that it's going to take a while for everything to? It's going to take a while. Um, you know, I think I think first... New Yorkers need to give, you know, the vaccine. Uh, and then once New Yorkers get the vaccine, then uh, I think tourists, once, as long as they have the vaccine and they know that New Yorkers have a vaccine, then I think they'll feel comfortable to start coming back. Um, and when that'll be, what are we in March now? I don't know. It could be, it could be in the fall. It could be, you know, the late fall, November, December. I, I think I think 
I'm hoping by like November, December, uh, there'll be tourists in town. Wow. Yeah, it's really crazy. Do you think that like the places such as Florida and Texas and um, Georgia, like the the states where these comedy scenes are starting to grow because people are leaving New York and California, do you think those scenes will continue to stay um, as more relevant comedy scenes? Or do you think that within two years that it's just going to go back to L.A. and New York? I don't know, but I hope I hope there is more options for good comedy in places like Florida and, and Texas. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't want to say that I want all the comics to move here. I think it's good that it's it's spread out. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't predict what's going to happen though. If I hope, you know, I, I I hope the scenes are better, get better there, and stay good. Yeah. <laughs> If not, we go to Idaho. <laughs> I'm, I'm to Idaho anyways. <laughs> One last thing. Um, I, I don't know if Ashley has another question, um, but I wanted to ask. So you are a comedy producer, but you also have been an entrepreneur. What do you think that other comedy producers that don't have your background, how do you think that they can use kind of like your mantra of like, I have an idea, I execute it. Um, how, what do you think that they can do to use that more in their lives? Um, it's hard. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to like tell someone what to do. You know, everyone, everyone's like, I, 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 I guess it starts with knowing like exactly what you want. You know, so like really thinking about it and maybe talking to like close friends and family members that know you or finding mentors, I think is very important. Um, and it could take a month, it could take a year, it could take like 10 years. Like I'm, I just figured out what I wanted like a month ago, <laughs> you know, and I'm 40. So I think that's like the first step, like really digging deep and finding and figuring out like what you enjoy, what you want to be doing every every day and what's fulfilling for you and what gives you purpose. Uh, and then once you figure that out, having that mindset um, and 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 just going out there and, and getting it. Like once you're once you're like so confident, once you're once you have that confidence compared with like knowing what you want. I feel like that's where things happen and and things start moving. Mm. Well, <clears throat> that because if, might... you, if you don't if you don't know what you want, then you're just gonna just cruise by. Do random things every day, like throw shit at the wall, and it may may make you happy for like a day or two. Then you're gonna move on to something else. Like I, I was like that for a long time. You're just gonna find. You're just gonna hop from like one thing to the other. And, you know, that can go on for a long time. But like, once you figure out like, all right, I enjoy this, I'm good at it, it gives me purpose, then that's what you focus on every day. And, and then I think over time, it just, it just clicks. 
I, pre- I feel pretty seen about your comment of um, throwing shit at the wall and trying to figure it out. I'm definitely in that phase, but I'm slowly figuring it out. But um. yeah, no, I, I, it's, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's also a lot of noise out there and distractions and, you know, I, there's not like one thing you can do. I think it's just even like writing a list you know, or, or on a whiteboard, like, you know, these are the five things I like to do or three things I like to do, you know, um, and, and talking to your friends or family members and finding a few mentors. Um, it, it could take a little while. Like, and like, like, and say to yourself, like, what can I see myself doing in, you know, a year from now? Where, where, where do I want to be in like five years from now? Like, where do I want to be in a year from now, you know? And then you have something to reach for. Hmm. I sound like Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> and that is my TED talk. You know, so, I, I met Tony Robbins right before uh, COVID, a few weeks before. Wow. You that know. was the prophecy. <laughs> the picture, I'll send you the picture. He put his giant hand on my heart. Oh. This is I a few weeks before we shut down. Wow. You know what he told me? What? People need a laugh. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Daddy Tony knew. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. But he's like the Pope. <laughs> he put his giant hand on me. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you know the date. It was, it was like a few weeks before. Spooky. People wow. need a laugh. That's weird, right? That is weird. Mm. I'm going to turn that into a blog post like in a few weeks. So <laughs> I'll send it to you. There you go. Yeah. Whoever's listening, check it out. Shout out to Tony Robbins. <laughs> if, he, if he's listening. He is. He is totally. I created Tony Robbins now. <laughs> what would TR do? He touched me. Would Tony Robbins touched me. <laughs> Appropriately. okay well before we go i'm gonna ask one more question and then we're gonna wrap it up um so uh what's your message to uh any big celebrity that's listening to you fight the big fight for the little guy especially you know being in new york what is your uh message to them and what do you want to tell them to do if you want them to do anything to help the club or to help the scene you are frozen oh no (laughs) (laughs) last question ever no (laughs) it's the ghost of tawny robbins (laughs) i lost you do you see me oh yeah yeah yeah. you're back (laughs) you were frozen okay can you repeat your question um okay so you're in New York. You are fighting the big fight for the little guy. Is there anything that you want to tell any big comics or celebrities that are just sitting at home making weird videos that can be helping businesses like yours? Oh, my God. Are we frozen again? No. <laughs> I don't think this question is meant to be. <laughs> the FBI agent is uh, not allowing this question. Okay, wait. You're unfrozen. You're unfrozen again. Okay, let's try again. 
Okay, how many times? Can... <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, you are fighting, obviously, the big fight for the little guy. Is there anything that you want to tell any big comics, any big um, industry, media that you would like for them to know or to at least try to help? No. I think, uh, you know, I think we're good. You know, I think, you know, it, it, they could have helped when venues were closed. Mm. But clubs are open now and we don't need them now. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair. Right? It's too late to jump on the wagon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's been a year where venues were closed and you know there wasn't much uh you know outreach from them to support the industry that they uh got their start in like you know you're comics so all all of these great comics got their start in comedy clubs right mm-hmm. like this was their stepping stone not I'm not saying this club but like any club and it was, I guess, surprising to see the lack of support from them. And even when Cuomo announced that clubs can reopen Wednesday, I looked at a few big comics like Twitter feed and Instagram, like not even like great news, you know, clubs are open. It's just, I don't know, it's disappointing. Hmm. Um, which just, it just shows you that you just need to sometimes do things on your own and and don't rely on other people. Great That's words good, to live by. <laughs> Danny, this has been awesome. I thank I you so I much. Leave anyone with anything. I know you're starting your podcast soon, so definitely the good people listening to this should subscribe to your podcast. But this has been awesome. Thank you. Welcome back, guys little chat with Danny Zoldan. That was fun, right, Anna? Oh, so fun. And I thought it was really interesting to hear about comedy through the eyes of someone who is just straight up a businessman. I mean, a lot of creatives, but it we need to have those parts too to really make things happen. Yeah, he uh, was so inspiring to hear someone that has been in the game this long and, and to hear so many good things come out of such a hard time. Oh, absolutely. Was, was really nice, but that was fun. This is a great, great time. You had a good time today? Oh, I always <laughs> have so much fun with you, Ashley. These are my favorite oh. times. I always say that these are Libra. like, uh, we're gonna go back in 2056, um, when we're working on the campaign for President Princess when Diana. When Princess Diana. For President Princess Diana. And we'll PPD. Well, listen to us, and well, it's like a recording of our friendship. It's our history, so it's very cute. But um, if you are enjoying just the facts, and you are enjoying us and all of our different guests, please, yeah. please subscribe, share our videos, um, share the links to our podcast. We want to continue growing this. We want to continue spin facts. Um, and thank you so much for listening. Yeah. See you guys later. Bye. Bye.